Like, I think that it's sort of interesting. So there's <clears throat> obviously during the Stalinist period, you had these show trials where, you know, high ranking party members and um, are accused of, and all sorts of people really are accused of being wreckers, mm -hmm. of, you know, collaborating with foreign powers to undermine the revolution and the five year plans. Right. And, um, you know, obviously these trials are, you know, well known and they they help sort of create a narrative that that uh you know the soviet union is beset by enemies from within and without and obviously there's sort of an objective there uh which is and and i think that this is true of like all trials right it's to right. make things public and it's also to make things public in a way that that i think gets people to internalize uh what the state wants out of um you know out of the trial and mm -hmm. i think what's interesting about the impeachment process is it was sort of i mean it wasn't like the trump administration was trying vinmin or its enemies but it's able to twist a trial in which it knows that it's going to be acquitted right um and and twist that into something of well the reason why he's being acquitted is he didn't do anything wrong right um, and and taking these public statements, right, that like, you know, the president can't be accused of a crime unless it or can't be impeached unless it's, you know, like Dershowitz's crazy defense yeah. of like, you know, it has to be stat. He has to have violated a specific statute somewhere in order to be impeached. And, you know, all this this sort of narrative about, well, yeah, he, he didn't do anything wrong. And, oh, even if he did. You know, it's not impeachable. And, oh, OK, well, even if it is impeachable, it's so close to the election. Let's let the voters decide. But I mean, where I want to go with this is it sort of made me think about this book that I read a long I had to read a long time ago in graduate school. And it's about and I think I sent you the link to it. And it's this idea that like when we read 1984 um, player piano, right, like these sort of dystopian um, be, um, what 1984? Uh, who? What was the other one? Aldous Huxley's book. Oh, Brave New World. A Brave New World, right? Like Fahrenheit 451. Like take yeah. your pick. They're all sort of premised on the notion that there's your external self, um, or another great movies like Equilibrium. If you've ever seen that one, with <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. There's your external self that you show to the world, the outside world, the state, society, but there's this internal self that they're never able to corrupt, mm -hmm. right, that survives. And that is sort of the foundation for hope uh, that the totalitarian system can collapse um, or will never, you know, truly succeed because it can't get your internal self. Right. And this uh, historian, I think he's at Rutgers now, but I mean, he, now granted, he looks at, he's only able to find like four diaries, or maybe he's able to find more, but he can't use them for whatever reasons, you know, but what's fascinating about them is, at least from the one that I remember, and it was an article that he wrote, it's about this guy who was a cool, you know, he, his origins were, his father was a kulak, right, mm -hmm. his father is exiled, like administrative exiled, 
for being a Kulak. Uh, he and his mother are able to obtain forged documents that say that they have, you know, like good class origins, like true peasant or working class or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, move to Moscow. And, you know, he starts this sort of path of self-transformation, which is very much in line with what's going on in the Soviet Union at the time, right? This idea of the new Soviet man, of building socialism, of personal struggle. And, you know, even though he is all of these things, right, like even though he on the outside faces the world as an ardent socialist and all of those things, like if, if he were the true sort of liberal subject or Western liberal subject, we would imagine that his diary would, you know, would show that like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, I had to kiss so much ass today right. or, you know, whatever. I mean, there's some of that in there that he's worried about being found out. But, I mean, he sees his diary as a project, right? It's a project of making him into a better a better Soviet person. And so this guy is, like, you know, lambasting and criticizing himself in his own diary about how he's not Soviet enough. Is that kind of like a like a fake it till you make it? Or well, I mean, I, is, he, is it a put-on in case it ever gets found? Right. Um, that's a good question, but I mean, I think that it's safe to say that, you know, why would he, I don't think that he was ever really worried about anybody finding his diary, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, he right. calls it his best, like, I think he says it's like his, his only true friend, it's who he can really express himself to, right? And And he's not expressing this sort of longing to be free of the Soviet state, like he's expressing often in, and often in many cases, like how he feels inferior, how if he could only, if he was a better person, if he'd only try harder, he could be the Soviet man that he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I think is sort of fascinating about that and where I, where I want to go with this is I think there is all of this hope out there that if Biden or how do you even say Mayor is it Buttigieg? Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Boot edge edge. Boot edge edge. All right. That's how if that's how Mayor, he says. Oh, Mayor Pete. Um, <laughs> Former Mayor that, Pete. You know, if Mayor Pete gets a you know if one of these moderates gets elected, right, mm -hmm. and, and like that's sort of the obsession with electability, right, um, is that somehow the Democrats can capture all of these voters and that, you know, and I think the other thing that I, I want to press a little bit is this notion of, okay, like, you know, these Republican senators in public, they say all this kind of stuff and like Trump voters say all these kinds of things in public, but privately they must really not believe any of this. And maybe that's the case with some of them, but, you know, I sort of wonder if we can, if we can say somewhat of a similar thing, right? How, the, and and where I guess I'm going with this is like this rhetoric of of you know who's the proper American right like who's truly loyal like who's um, you know behind the president all of those sorts of things that like on some level like this gets internalized mm -hmm. right and that is sort of the true danger is that you know we that. In, in I guess in thinking that what these people are saying is just some sort of public farce and that deep down they haven't changed at all or like that there's something inherently good in them that if we could just tap into we could solve all of our problems like that's the biting approach you know that's the 
um, that's the the uh, Buttigieg approach, right? And I'm sort of, I guess what I would like to talk about is, you know, yes, we don't live in a totalitarian society yet, at least compared to the Soviet <laughs> Union. But I mean, I sort of right. wonder if we're doing a disservice by not looking at what these people say sincerely and exploring whether or not that there is not really that much of a difference between their private selves and publicly what they're affirming. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like this, this, this idea that like they're only saying this stuff because they're afraid of losing their election or, you know, they're only saying this stuff because they, they want to get reelected or they're only saying this stuff because that's what it seems like the Republican party wants to hear right now. Uh-huh. And sort of what I'm wondering is, you know, maybe not with the high up politicians, but like on on the more common like day to day level, if they're if we need to be taking this a little bit more seriously um, and, you know, what this rhetoric can lead to. Right. That like on some level, like it does bleed into people's sense of their own selves. Right. So that it's it, it doesn't really matter whether or not Lindsey Graham actually believes all this, because the fact that he's out there saying it is going to kind of caught like rallying more people to that cause is that what you're well yeah that well on that level and i guess or is it or is it more to more that if if you got someone like lindsey graham out there saying something that he doesn't believe for long enough eventually he will start to believe it or yeah, I mean on 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 that level, but also that like I guess ultimately where I I want to go with this is you know we we come like we're having a discussion about like what the truth is, mm-hmm. and and actually I'm glad that we had this sort of pre conversation because I guess this is ultimately where I want to go, right? So like with these totalitarian novels, 1984, Brave New World, you know what pick pick whatever one you want, right? You have a, a protagonist who lives in this society where the truth is under assault. Like after, you know, I don't know how many 1984 quotes I saw on Twitter and, you know, Facebook after um, after the acquittal, right? And right. I guess what I'm going at is on some level what that is sort of assuming these tweets and the, this stuff on Facebook. And I think what people are still hopeful of is that deep down there is the inner self that doesn't, that cannot possibly believe what is going on out there, that rejects it, but out of fear, out of, you know, self interest, embraces it publicly, but that privately they really don't believe it. Right. And that's right. the hope. That's the downfall of a totalitarian society is they can't get to your innermost feelings. Right. And what these diaries from the Stalinist period suggest is actually no government rhetoric can get into your deepest, most feelings. And that the real danger of what is going on right now is not is, yes, like the assault on the truth, but where the where the assault on the truth is going to take us, which is that. You know, don't I guess uh, where I'm going to is like, don't count on people to always know what's right and what's wrong and what's true. Like as long as this rhetoric stays out there, as long as this stuff is there, eventually it seeps in. 
it seeps into your own personal life. Okay. And it, and it transforms you. It changes you. Okay. I think, yeah, I think I, I think I, I think I follow. Um, so like eventually if, you know, Trump say like wins election, right. There's going to be people out there, I think, because he's going to keep saying, didn't do anything wrong. You know, he's already saying that, but that there mm -hmm. are going to be people out there that, that, you know, may like, they're going to start like, instead of always hanging on to that truth of like, no, I know that he's guilty. What these diaries sort of suggest is that they that they might start to think, well, gee, like maybe, you know, like he won re-election and I keep hearing again and again how he did nothing wrong in the news everywhere around me. Maybe I am wrong. Right. It's that. Right? And like maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm the problem. It just erodes away at, at, at your convictions and gets the yeah, gets and, a little and, bit of self-doubt going. And yeah. And at that at that inner self, right? Mm -hmm. That inner self that is so important to the totalitarian novel about defeating it, right? Like they can get to you, I guess, like is where I'm going with this. Yeah, it's, it's have you seen the new Star Wars? I haven't yet, to, oh, be, okay. to be honest. Well, never, never mind then. <laughs> oh, I mean, I kind of know how it goes. I mean, well, so, so, so there's like, they make a whole, they make a whole, it's one, it's a very stupid movie. It's to save your money. Don't don't bother with it. Um, but they make a whole big to do about the first order wins by making you believe you're alone and you're not alone. And like that's it's it's very much in that same kind of <laughs> um, just yeah. like that dystopian novel mindset where it's like. No, if we just believe hard enough, the power of uh power of friendship and camaraderie and will can overcome can overcome the fascists and it's it's like well the the problem is is like like you're saying you know all, all that all that um uh i guess propaganda keeps getting put out there and you know or, how, how long like to, to to touch on something that's so much closer to home um, I don't know about you, but like I, I, I truly believe that Bernie Sanders can win a general election. Yet I am so right. inundated with all this shit about you know he can't, and that the suburban voters won't support him, and blah 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 blah. That like I really like have these moments of like, am I doing the right thing? I mean, I guess to me it's more. I, I'm just more like I can't. I just. I think I understand what you're saying, but uh, my my take on that is the the point where like the self doubt kind of creeps in is it, it just it, it seems like you're you're up against an impossible an impossible task, right? Like it, it's really hard to keep the faith after witnessing what happened in Iowa. Yeah, and it's like if shit if they can do that then i mean really like what you know what, what can you do if 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 your if your opponent is willing to just outright lie and steal then what hope is there that any truth can sort of win out so i mean i i don't know if that's kind of the direction that you're wanting to go but 
Um, well, I mean, I guess like what I what I was thinking of is just this idea that that people need to guard themselves, I suppose, because, you know, you, you think that like, oh, like I'm against the Trump regime and, you know, all these sorts of things. And like, I don't believe any of this rhetoric, but mm-hmm. I, I guess like where I want to like maybe use this as a cautionary tale of like, you know, this stuff seeps in. Right. You know, it it really does. And um, it is so difficult to be an individual and try to find your place in a broader society. And and the the human tendency, I think, believe it or not, is not for individualism, but to sort of go along with what's going on. Right. right? And I so, think that like okay. So can I? I and I sure. don't. I don't know if this is. Um. How do you square this with the whole idea and concept of hypernormalization, right? Where I guess maybe this would be something to um, compare and contrast with. But like, how does this how does this com- contrast with the concept that right now we live in an age of just such overwhelming information? with no ability to um, understand what is real and what isn't, that you can't really... It's not so much that that... um, I I don't know, I guess you'd call it the id Mm -hmm. is getting overwhelmed. I'm probably probably getting my, like, psychology wrong here. I can't remember if it's, like, the id or the ego or... I guess maybe the ego... Uh, the ego is getting overwhelmed and you begin to doubt yourself and question what's right. But instead it's just, you know, you, you are overwhelmed by all of this bullshit information that you know is bullshit. And it just kind of puts you into a malaise and you just check out and you say, whatever, none of this matters. Like I can't, I'm yeah, completely I mean, powerless over this. Really... It's and I think that's a little different than saying, "What if?" You know, I, I don't think this is what you're getting at, but I just I can't help but think of the uh, the principal Skinner. It's like, am I? No, it's the children that are wrong, right? Like, yeah. that that's kind of that same little of uh, like the voices of doubt in in the back of his mind. Um, and I think that's that's definitely something that you could see in those kind of dystopian novels. And perhaps yeah, that's something sure. about I, like I guess like maybe maybe this would probably be the best way to think about this is like so yeah, like on the like there's there's multiple different responses mm-hmm. to what's going on. You know, one can be the like you said with hypernormalization, just to check out. Just to right. be like nothing matters, nothing's real, so what's the point? But, you know, we shouldn't underestimate that there, that for some people that that's not going to be the route that they take. And instead, the route that they take is going to be, well, how do I acclimate myself in this new environment? Yeah. Right, and, like, there's the process of, you know, changing oneself, yeah, I just, it just, it, that, I don't know if that is 
as big of a because I'm wondering if if there's um I'm wondering if the cultural context of of that that dystopian theme is different because mm-hmm. if you look at when those books were written uh it's you know it was a very different uh time than it is today especially when it comes to sure um the information that people are being given right like it's easy to envision someone who if you hold a belief that is if you hold a belief that something is correct and you have the three you know legitimate sources of news in your in your society and you know these are the voices of authority that aren't questioned in a way that you know those voices of authority would be questioned uh now and they're constantly telling you that it's wrong that's gonna cause people to maybe doubt a little bit more than i think today where if you believe something and CNN tells you that it's that it's wrong, mm-hmm. I think the inclination is to say that that's bullshit. Like CNN's lying because I've got this other source here that's telling me what I believe is right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I just think the in in the hyper normalization context, what happened in Iowa was um I'm that is peak hypernormalization right like we've we've got countless documented errors in reporting for these um state delegate equivalents and uh that show bernie sanders won i mean like right he won he won the won the popular vote on the first round won the vote on the realignment and based on the documented errors if we assume those get corrected, he's won the delegate equivalent. And all we've heard for the last week has been that Pete Buttigieg won the Iowa caucuses. And that, I think because we have access to so much more information that we can kind of see, it's it's no longer, I mean, it, it, is, it is part of, um, there is an aspect, I guess, of, you know, don't believe your lying eyes. Um, but it's also like, don't believe your lying eyes. But, you know, if you choose to believe your lying eyes, yeah, tough shit. You can't do anything about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like what what I would say is um, like where I still think that this might sort of be valid is, you know, yes, like there's there is all of this access to information out there. Um, there is all of these sorts of things that we have. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like what I'm trying to say is uh, that I mean, on some level, like where where I'm going with this is that I don't think that we can discount the transformative effect that Trumpism might be having on people, right? And this idea that like yes, mm-hmm. there there is all sorts of information out there that can that can show them that whatever they're believing in or whatever they're being told is not right but instead of 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 doing that they just try to acclimate themselves with what's going on right and mm-hmm. and in instead of 
instead of saying what's wrong with the state that it doesn't that it doesn't you know tell me the truth and doesn't do these things that it's supposed to do instead of doing that they turn the criticism inward and say what's wrong with me that i just can't get behind donald trump or i just can't get behind what's going on because i hear in my and like let's also not discount the social circles that people live in right, right. And, and 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 I just think that there's something to be said of like sometimes the easier way out is not to be like, oh, the whole world's bullshit, but like maybe there's something wrong with me. And maybe I need to fix what's wrong with myself. And if I can just do that, then this will all make sense. Like that's Re- kind of like that so- learned learned help the learned helplessness. Well, sure, not even just learned helplessness, but that like there's actually something out there and like I, I mean i guess like maybe look at it this way mm-hmm. okay like you you've been um i mean i sort of experienced this you know i grew up in a small town uh, a deeply conservative town and i was told again and again and again how uh how bad pro choice was and that i needed to reject that and you know how bad things like gay marriage were and those lifestyles and things like that and 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 you know in contrast to that i was taught not really by my parents but by the surrounding society right the catholic church right like the value of the nuclear family the value of all of these you know like um the value of of the of conception and the miracle of childbirth and all that bullshit what do i do if trump is elected and i've been told that the value of you know like the true value is of the family and not getting divorced and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And I look at who everyone's telling me to praise. Okay, yes, like I could say, hey, maybe everything I've been taught is bullshit and I should find something else. Or I can say, maybe I just don't get it. And maybe all these people around me, they must know something that I don't. And if I just work hard enough, if I just under, you know, try to understand, if I just, you know, keep reading more about Trump or whatever, I'll get it. Right. So the problem's not with him. The problem's not with what I've been taught. The problem's with me. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like that's sort of where I want to go with this is that, that this from what these diaries show us, like some of what this research shows us is that this is a legitimate response that people have had. Okay. Does that? I mean, does yeah, that, it, it have, makes have, have it makes it makes seen? sense. It's just I don't I don't know if that's a real reaction people are having. Well, I mean, anymore. we don't really know. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess that's the other thing is we cannot see into people's right you know, deepest it's, thoughts. It, it's hard. It's, I, I guess I would also keep in mind too that like we don't really know anybody like that. That's true. That's true. I just I I just wonder. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, it seems like with, uh, living in a, in such a polarized society, right? Like that. And, and um, with the, uh, what is it called? Like the, the backlash effect or something like where you, where if you present arguments to the counter of someone's belief, their, their faith in that belief actually gets stronger instead of, weekends um mm-hmm. i it just doesn't seem like that I, I i'm sure it might happen 
Um, like I can't, you know, I'm not saying that it. Well, I mean, maybe we'll never maybe happens, a better way but... to pose this is okay. This is like I don't want to use this as, as a specific example. But my dad was, you know, my dad's the associate dean of medicine, and he is in charge of the Wyoming part of the this University mm-hmm. of Washington program, and he presented some information on the state of the U.S. healthcare system um, regarding like cost, uh, regarding you know our place in the world, why it's so expensive. Stuff that's like, I mean, just facts. Right. Like just information. And right. uh, my dad, I don't think he is anymore, but my dad was, has been a Republican his whole life for the mm-hmm. most part. And anyway, he heard two weeks later that someone was like, oh, they really didn't like you. You know, they were saying like, oh, this liberal college professor is trying <laughs> to tell us that America can't possibly be, you know, like that America has a bad healthcare system and we need to change things. Like they just outright rejected it. And I guess my point is, is like, where does this come from? Well, but isn't that, isn't that kind of what I'm saying though? That like, instead of, instead of them being presented with this information that, oh yeah, like our healthcare system sucks. Instead of beginning to doubt their own faith in the healthcare system, they they just like they lash out and say no, like you're wrong. I don't but, care what you're showing me. Uh, but we rock. But I, I, so I, I. But why? I guess what I'm trying to get at is the deeper part of it, which is sure they reject it. Okay, mm-hmm. so let, let's you know let's say that yes they reject it. Okay, I guess the question is why? Why can they not admit? these things why can they not admit facts because yes there's belief mm-hmm. right there's right. there's what they believe but i think there's something deeper i think that what people have always sort of said is oh like these republicans with their crazy bullshit you know arguments and their disregard for the facts like there's this argument that they really know what they're doing right like they really know that like these guys, we'll go back to these guys my dad presented to. I think what a lot of people would assume, right, is that they really believe or that they that they know that what they're being shown is correct. But they just reject it because it conflicts with their beliefs. But deep down they know that it's right. And I guess what I'm what I'm going with, and I think this sort of jives with what you're saying, is there is no deep down they know that it's right. They've, their personal identities, their whole entire being has been so wrapped up in becoming a member of the Republican Party that anything okay. that, that goes against it, they just have to reject because right. it's, it's already broken down their rational you know, self that's supposed to, in our Western idea, be able to think critically like the whole day, you know, Cartesian thing of I think, therefore I am. So you're so this is so I think, OK, I think I, I get so you're making this argument more in the in the case of like, I guess never Trump Republicans or former never Trump Republicans, right? Like that that it is this it's this kind of thinking that's going to allow Trumpism to maintain its hold over the Republican Party. Not necessarily that um, the impeachment acquittal is going to lead a bunch of Democrats to believe that trump actually didn't do anything wrong yeah okay oh, okay yep yeah does that, that, does that yeah sense? that i agree with 
because okay, I think yeah, I think sorry. It's, no 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 that's I I think that's like I mean so so one I think I'm just going to use like our last half hour of conversation for for this because we've got it got it recorded and I think it was good um, but yeah I think that's I think that's something that we'll definitely see and also um you're going to see that there is that opposite effect in in democrats right like democrats and liberals are just going to see the um the impeachment acquittal is, is all all it all it does is reinforce their belief that yeah uh yeah, so this sorry is, this... i guess I, I i should have been a little bit clear that like you know what i that there's there's all of this there's so much of this talk of like, oh, if only they had called witnesses and, you know, the truth comes right. out, like everyone's obsessed with the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth. And I guess what my where I think we should go with this is like on some level like that doesn't matter, because if you if your entire identity is wrapped up in a certain uh, political party or, you know, politician or whatever, and like, let's let's sort of be clear the GOP now is the party of Trump. Right. And you cannot criticize him. Right. Right. And you cannot stand out against him. And so for someone who, you know, lives in like a, a deep red state or something, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to become a Republican? Are you, I mean, not a Republican. Are you going to vote libertarian? Are you going to vote for a Democrat? Like, probably not. Like the thing that you're going to do is you're just going to somehow try to find a way to make peace with it. And at least what maybe these diaries show, granted in, an, uh, in a much different context, is that that's, a, that's something that people have done, which is, right. you know, uh, I, I, I just need to shut myself off to this, and I just need to try harder to believe what's really going on. So, and, and, if, and if I just worked on myself, I, I could fix this. Right. I could fit right. back in with my community. I could understand them. I could be a part with them again. So does this. So do you think that there is a a larger effect on. Um, the few liberals and Democrats that do live in in overwhelmingly red red states, like, for example, in Wyoming, do you think have you have you noticed um, Democrat friends? Uh, becoming Republican partisans and kind of going to the opposite opposite way. Oh, you mean like Democrat, like Democrats becoming more Republican? You mean? Yeah, in in um, I you in know, red not states. That, you know, not that I not that I know of, right? But I mean, at the same time, like their identity isn't as wrapped up, right? In that, so let's. I think now that we sort of hashed out where we want to go with this, um, <laughs> let let's go ahead and like kind of dig in for real. So, um, you know, welcome to episode twenty one of of O Comrade, where art thou? Uh, I'm Alex, and this is Andrew. Starting like a half hour into the recording. Yeah, starting like a half hour or more into our conversation, but um, I think it was a good sort of build up conversation because what. What we're going to talk about today, I mean, I know that in the last episode I mentioned that we would talk about show trials, and, and that's going to be a little bit of what we talked about, but 
as you know, Trump's acquittal, you know, he was acquitted in the Senate, by the way, in case you didn't know that, or if this is someone listening many, many <laughs> years in the future, and hopefully this has been forgotten or whatever, uh, you know, you need to rem- you, you need to remember, but you know, he was recently acquitted uh, in the Senate. Um, only Mitt Romney, or Mitt Romney was the only Republican that voted to acquit, and that was, or sorry, voted, that voted to, to, to remove, and that was on one charge, the abuse of power, not obstruction of Congress. Uh, so, you know, we are where we are. Trump's been acquitted. Uh, Vindman and Sondland, two of the people that testified against him, have been let go from their positions, fired, shit-canned, whatever you sacked, for those of you in the UK, whoever, uh, whatever term you want to use. And uh, so th- this has all happened, right? Trump is seemingly, you know, on the on the offensive again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the trial itself was a, a bit, you know, absurd, a bit theatrical, right? Uh, right. <laughs> the, the Republicans' <laughs> argument sort of started with, well, this is all the way back at the beginning. Oh, he didn't do anything wrong. And then, oh, well, he did something wrong, but it's not impeachable. To I think what some of them finally you know sort of told themselves so they could sleep at night, which is oh well, eh, we should just let the voters decide. Um, and you know so we've seen that evolution. Uh, we've seen multiple media outlets you know across the political spectrum saying he did it, he didn't do it, you know blah 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 blah. And but you know the the rhetoric that is going to come out of this whole trial, right, of him being acquitted is this notion that now he can say, well, I was acquitted. And I, and I think that there's something like extremely powerful to that, you know, even though even though we know that it was not a legitimate sort of impeachment trial, right? Even though there were no witnesses, there was no mm-hmm. additional evidence brought in, like he can still say that. Uh, and, and something similar happened in the Soviet Union, right? Like they had these, you know, I think that's where the term kangaroo court got developed. I could be wrong. But, you know, they would have these massive show trials with these forced confessions. You know, they would parade people up there who had confessed all sorts of things. Like I was collaborating with the capitalists. I'm a wrecker. You know, I'm opposed right. to the five-year plan. I'm against the Stalinist state. You know, I'm, I'm a bourgeois. I'm, you know, a kulak, which is like a rich peasant. Uh, enemy of the state, right? I'm all these sorts of things. And I'm sure that people in the Soviet Union, uh, to some extent, had to know that this was just too sensational to be true. Um, Yet at the same time, though, that rhetoric was out there. And that rhetoric on some level, like, gets internalized. Uh, And something that, you know, always sort of fascinated me about the study of the Soviet Union Right was this idea that the revolution was not just a political transformation, right? A new system of government, you know, going from czarism to rule by the Bolshevik Party. It wasn't just an economic transformation, you know, going from capitalism and small holding agriculture to uh, collectivized farms to mm-hmm. heavy industry to state-run um, a state-run economy, five-year plans. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, cultural transformation, new types of art, the avant-garde. Uh, it was also supposed to be a deeply personal transformation, right? Like you yourself were supposed to undergo um, as a citizen, right? You're supposed to become like what they called, you know, like homus um, or homo Sovieticus, 
right? Like the Soviet man <laughs> that you were supposed to. No, like I'm serious. Like this, <laughs> I don't know if they called him Homo Sovieticus, but they really did use the term like the Soviet man. Mm-hmm. And the Soviet man had certain, you know, habits, right? Like he was educated. You know, he was devoted to the party. You know, he didn't engage in all these backward behaviors like religion and spitting on the street. And, you know, he, he followed personal hygiene, you know, all sorts of things like that. I just think and, I think it's funny that, like, on, on levels of backwards behaviors, uh, going to church and spitting on the street are comparable. It's well, just, I mean, when, it's you just as atheist, <laughs> when you live in an atheist society, yeah, like they, I guess they sort of can be. Um, but, you know, like rejecting, you know, rejecting what was considered a backward way of life, right? Like mm-hmm. staying in the village, believing in these sort of, you know, what the Bolsheviks, what the Soviet regime would call superstitions, things like that. And and so that's that was also part of it. And mm-hmm. that sort of idea and you saw a similar thing in fascist Italy and Nazi Germany, right? Like this idea of a personal transformation and so much of that spawned um, what you know a lot of Americans know as like dystopian fiction. So the nineteen, like George Orwell's nineteen eighty four, uh, Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World, um, Ray, is it Bradbury? Bradbury, yeah, yeah, Bradbury's Fahrenheit four fifty one, right? Uh, or if you've seen it, I think it's, I guess for some people it's kind of old. Uh, that. Uh, you know, Equilibrium, you know, the movie with uh, Christian Bale and uh, who else is in that? Um, oh, God, gets I can't killed remember. All the time. Sean Bean's in it. Yeah. Yep. And gets killed pretty early on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so much of that, right, like one of the running themes throughout those books, uh, that TV show really, or sorry, that movie, uh, really any TV show about a dystopian society, um, even in Chernobyl, Right. Like mm-hmm. when in in, uh, in the Chernobyl HBO series, there's this idea of that we are so um, aligned to and believe so deeply about in the West, which is that there that you have this sort of inner being, your your soul, like not just in a religious sense, like not the, you know, metaphysical part of you that goes up to heaven when you die. Right. But like this this inner part of you that is only yours right and that no matter what the totalitarian state does they can't get in there right they can't get into the inner recesses of yourself and that's why they ultimately fail right right um you know like think about 1984 and like big brother telling you to reject truth and all those sorts of things but there's a guy out there i you know forget the protagonist's name right like he doesn't buy that right or like in the movie equilibrium uh christian bale's characters like this you know shock trooper what do they call him like priest or something think, like he goes out so. there and you know basically so basically if equilibrium that's the one where like they they make everyone take the emotion suppressing like drugs. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he quits taking he quits taking the uh, the emotion suppressing drugs and begins yeah, to feel again. Yeah, he quits taking it, and his <laughs> eyes sort of open up to what's going on, right? Because they could never truly get into his self, mm-hmm. right? Like the self is sort of like the last line of defense, and that's what everyone sort of casts their hope on. Uh, that why totalitarianism will always fail is that it can't get 
you know, I don't know, like I'm making all these wild hand gestures, right? Like they can't get inside yourself. They can never, that's like the frontier they cannot cross. Um, so what I'm, where I'm going with this is one thing that I've been seeing a lot of about, you know, written about the Republican senators and written about uh, Trump voters at large um, in certain contexts anyway, is that, you know, that they must know, right? Like they, they must know that he did this. Uh, they, they must know that everything that comes out of his mouth is, you know, at least being generous, like not true. Right. <laughs> right. Like they, they must know this, but they still have that inner sort of sense of self that's that hasn't been breached, right? That says like, yeah, I know that this isn't true, but out of my own self-interest or, you know, whatever, I'm going to go along with it publicly. But privately, right, I right. know that it's wrong. Well, but, and we hear we hear accounts of this all the time, too, about like right wing uh, personalities. I mean, like the, the word is, is that you now Rush Limbaugh, who uh, was in the news and got the Medal of Freedom oh, or whatever, the state of the union. Yeah. But it, like the, the word is that he doesn't believe any like he doesn't actually believe any of the stuff that he he says on his show. Uh, Glenn Beck is supposed to be another one that doesn't actually believe any of the stuff. I think the only one that anyone thinks is a true believer is Sean Hannity, <laughs> mm. which I mean, it totally tracks. Um, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> and and so yeah, so like I think people are. I mean, I think that there's and 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 this so much too, right? Is the um, is the hope that people place well did place in uh, in Joe Biden until Iowa. <laughs> um, and now I think more so in, in Mayor Pete, right, this this idea that that these Republican voters out there, like they must know, like they must know deep down that this is all not supposed to be this way, that this is all wrong. And if we just give them an out, right, if we just give right. them an exit ramp, they'll take it. Just got to appeal to their better angels. Exactly. Right. That that's I think the moderates argument right now is that you know people can be reasonable and common sense and all this kind of stuff and I, and I don't you know I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of those sorts of things um, but I, I I question that and I guess the the reason why I do that is if you look at the political if you look at the political landscape, and, and what I mean by that is like looking at it at a micro level, like towns, you know, suburbs, church communities, you know, what, what have you, family groupings, there is immense polarization. Right. Right. Like you are more likely than not to be surrounded by people that think the same way that you do. That, um, or at least think the same way maybe you and and this is part of where we're going to go is maybe they don't think exactly like you but you live in an environment and maybe you don't think exactly like them but we live in an environment or most of us live in an environment where things are sort of aligned that way where most of the people around us believe a certain way act a certain way profess certain beliefs and that's sort of the reality of of, of where we are right now and i think that's become even more profound you know, over Trump or during the era of Trump, right? Like ostracization of family members and friends over political beliefs, 
you know, unfriending people on Facebook, you mm -hmm. know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm not going to, you know, delve into what people should or shouldn't do about that. But the result is that we are surrounded more and more by like-minded thinking groups by a certain consensus. And so the, the question then becomes, you know, what if you don't agree with the consensus around you or what if, you know, there's something about that consensus around you that doesn't quite match up with who you are? Mm -hmm. What's the reaction? So the totalitarian novel like Orwellian approach would be, well, maybe publicly I wear my Trump 2020, keep, you know, keep America great or make America greater or whatever phrase they've settled on. Like I put that bumper sticker on my car and, you know, I go about right. my daily life like nothing's wrong. But deep down, I'm racked with or like deep down, I go home and I'm like, oh, I hate, you know, I hate this. I can't deal with this. You know, this is just wrong. Like, give me Biden. Give me Mayor Pete to vote for. And I'm going to take my off ramp. I'm going to get the hell out of here. That certainly could be somebody's reaction. But. Another reaction is that that same person goes home and in their innermost thoughts, maybe they're not even at home, maybe in their car during rush hour or in church or whatever, and they're, they're in thinking to themselves and their thoughts and their where things go isn't, oh, what's wrong with like these people are lying to me, you know, this like everything I've been taught is a lie. Like, this is all bullshit. Sure, you could think that, but another thing and something that can happen is that people instead think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I see what everyone is seemingly seeing? Right. Why can't I believe the way everyone else seemingly believes? And, you know, the reason why I think that that is a, a legitimate reaction is because there's this um, – I, I read the article and then I read a book. Um, I think the guy's name is like Jochen. I, it's German, so I can't pronounce it that well. But the last name's Hellbeck. I think he's at Rutgers. And he was at Rutgers. And he wrote this book called Revol I think it was like Revolution on My Mind. And it's about these diaries he found um, of people who lived during the Stalinist period. And almost all of the diary writers, and I only really remember one diary, like one you know, protagonist fairly well. Um, but they all were believers in the Soviet system. Some of them suffered great, even though some of them suffered greatly under it, even though some of them were persecuted of it, they never stopped believing. Right. And they, their diaries were not like, oh, you know, screw the state. And like, I know everything I see in Pravda is a lie. And, you know, I just can't wait till I can, you know, go to the secret policeman's house and beat the crap out of him or, you know, whatever. Like, I can't wait until this is all over. But it was this, like, intense self-guilt and self-doubt over, you know, like, I believe in the Soviet project, even though things are bad for me, so I must just have to keep trying harder, right? Like, the, the character I remember the most, or the, I mean, he was a real person, um, I think his last name was, like, Podlubny, like, something like that, but he was a a peasant from Ukraine. His father was considered a Kulak. So Kulak was just a peasant who had, you know, was relatively better off or well, well off compared to his peers. 
So his father's placed in administrative exile, so like sent to you know a labor camp. Um, he and his mother are able to obtain forged documents and move to Moscow. Um, and the forged documents, because back during that period, you know, your class origin was immensely important. So the documents that they have say that they're like, you know, true poor peasants or maybe even like working class. And so he's able to get a job in a factory. You know, he joins the Komsomol, this, you know, like Soviet or like youth organization. Um, and he, you know, rises up through the system. And, you know, and yet at the same time, right, he is of suspect uh, background, right? And instead of instead of saying like, you know, oh, the system um, is like screwed my father, you know, the, the system is against me and will never, you know, beat me down. Instead, what we see is him, you know, trying to, to say like and saying to himself, like, why can't I be more Soviet? You know, what is what is wrong with me, right? And, you know, his diary becomes almost like a forge on where his new self is being made. And I, so I guess, and we, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this, but like where I'm going with this is his, what his experience shows and what some of these other people's experience shows is that at least that Orwellian model, that totalitarian, like the hero of the totalitarian novel, they're not the only ones out there. Right. And right. that sometimes a reaction to immense, you know, amounts of disinformation of, um, you know, all sorts of, of problems going on is not to sort of reject these external sources of information, but to turn that critic like that critical eye inward and be like, why can't I understand this? So right. are you are you do you believe me on this, Andrew? Are you still with me? Well, <laughs> we, yeah, we disagreed yeah. a little bit in the beginning. Yeah. So. So I think kind of like what we were talking about before, I think this is going to be much more applicable to. Um, Republicans that weren't yeah. necessarily on board with Trump to begin with. Uh, and I think we've we've seen that reflected in the polling numbers, too, because I think because now Trump's polling something at like 90 percent approval rating with Republicans and he's always been up there. Um, and especially after once he was inaugurated, that's when you saw his, that's when he, or once he was nominated, I think is when his numbers for Republicans went way up and, and kind of just stayed there solidly. Well, and, and, and I think the theory behind that and why I think, you know, again, like I will, fully admit that this isn't exactly like a perfect comparison because, you know, we don't live in a totalitarian society on the level of the Soviet Union, right? Like we don't, right. you know, we have access to open media and things like that. But again, like where I think it matters is, uh, and I think we might have talked about this a little bit, but I hear like again and again and again uh, on Facebook, on the news, wherever, like how can Christians support someone like him? Right. Right. And and I think that what, you know, these diaries suggest is like it, it, it might provide an explanation, because if you have been brought up in this sort of environment where the people around you have told you how to behave, what is correct, what's you know, what's the proper way to live in the world. 
And your identity is so tied up in that, in believing, in belonging to that society, that if you reject what it is telling you, you in a way are rejecting yourself. Right? Well, right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, I think that's the big part about it is that it's when we're talking about the, the communities and the um, groups that you kind of have that self-reinforcing of beliefs, we're not necessarily talking about uh, your local communities in a geographic sense, although that's definitely a component, but it's, you know, what is the identity of the person politically? And I think this is, this is why, you know, our initial disagreement was, Kind of based on maybe a bit of confusion because I, um, you don't see that happening in, uh, you don't see that same effect happening in Democrats and liberals, but there's a, a point that you made that I think is a very good, um, something to highlight is that there there has to be that initial buy-in on the person, right? Like the people that are writing these diaries and are questioning. Uh, why am I not, why, what is the tension between me and uh, the communist project? They're true believers in um, the communist project, right? And they might not, and well, I guess to be fair though, like on some level, we don't actually know if they were true believers or not, but, and and, and I guess where the pushback, uh, where I'm going to try to push back just a little bit is, you know, we, we don't really know that. And I think in, in some cases, like, you know, they profess true belief, but, you know, who really, you know, who really knows for sure? Right. Their identity is so tied up in it, right? Like, so if you have somebody like a, uh, like this, this guy who I was mentioning before, who's now a member of certain party circles, right, mm-hmm. who in some ways, like, owes so much of his social advancement to the communist project, right? I mean, he's a guy right. who comes from a village uh, under czarism. He probably would have stayed in that village, married in that village, and died in that village, and lived a very similar life to his ancestors. But now, right, I mean, his mother and him moved to the city. Uh, he gets all these sort of opportunities to work in a factory, which, and I think he actually went to, like, went to school, right? So he owes so much of it to the system, right? Like it's benefited him. And I, and I, and so I guess like when we get back to buy-in, like, I guess some of it isn't like, like just ideological belief, but it's this community that I'm around. They've done things like they've done positive things for me. Right. I, right. Like they're my neighbors. They're the ones who have helped shovel my driveway out or, you know, gave me a ride when my car broke down or, you know, when I was in a pinch, loaned me some money and said, don't worry about when you can pay me back, like, you know, whatever. But like, we all sort of like, like, the whole reason you're a part of the community is so you can on some level benefit from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, emotionally, socially, um, economically, whatever, like, there are all those reasons. So what happens then when you're faced with something that cause that would that could cause you to reject that community? Well, what are you going to do, right? Like, it's immensely, I think, immensely difficult to say, yeah, I'll just go find a new community. <laughs> right. Like some people do that, certainly, but it's not easy. 
Right. I'm just, I, I just wonder, like, I, I don't, I, I just wonder if this is, I don't think that this is, is borne out as something that's actually happening among um, anyone else that wasn't already part of that initial in-group when it comes to conservatives. I, I would totally believe that, yes, mm. like, that there is going to be something that you may have uh, conservatives that were, that initially found found Trump distasteful and didn't like him, um, and they did not want to support him. They, they supported someone else in the 2016 primary. But as soon as he was a nominee... And as soon as um, uh, as soon as he he became president and was like in office, uh, they've supported him and only hardened their support of him because he's perceived as being constantly attacked by people that are outside of their community that are you know mm-hmm. constantly being attacked by by liberals, and I just I don't see I don't see that happening with with people that identify as liberals and. Or Democrats, I think it's possible. Mm. Like I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know what is. If if so, to use use the example that that you were just giving of like, the the community helps you out for like shoveling your snow and things like that. I don't know if this is one. I don't think this is something that's going to really affect that that much in, um, in that nature. But I don't know if you are someone who identifies as a liberal and votes democrat and you're surrounded by uh maga hat wearing republicans mm. i don't i don't think that this is something that's going to make you question okay. question your belief you know what i'm saying like yeah i i see so i see exactly where you're going and and i think on some level I guess my response to that might be to look at, um, I mean, I think that maybe this speaks to, you know, one of the sort of criticisms of the Democratic Party, right? But like, you know, what is its base? Right. Uh, Because if you talk to Bernie Sanders, uh, it's one thing, right? It's working class people and the progressives who support the, the policies that will help them. Um, if you talk to Joe Biden, it's, or, or even Mayor Pete, I think it's suburban voters and like, you know, the reasonable middle-class American who, you know, sure, maybe he wants to pay more in tax or maybe he's willing to pay more in taxes. Right, but that is, that is, that, Alex, that is, um, that idea of, that theory of winning an election from, from Biden's and the moderate side, that isn't that isn't Democrats getting having self doubt and beginning to believe in, um, say the Trump project. That is them hoping that there are that there are enough uh, of the Republicans that you know kind of meet that dystopian novel hero where, sure. like, like you were saying, like that they know this is wrong. Sure. They know yeah, no, that I, this I, is this I, I bad. I disagree with you. I guess what I guess what my point is is so you have that on the Democratic side over what does it mm-hmm. mean to be a Democrat. Whereas if you look at the Republican side, I think it's pretty clear now what it means to be a Republican, and that right. sense of community, 
you know, and, and community can mean many different things. Like I'm not necessarily trying to give a positive spin to this, right? But that sense of identity is much more solid, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't, like if, you've, if you're in that sort of camp, where is there for you to go? Like you can't go become a Democrat, right? Because that's, you've sort of been brought up your whole life to be told that that's not what people, like what reasonable people do. Right. So where are you going to go? Whereas my point is, is that with Democrats, okay, maybe, yeah, like I don't believe in Biden's idea or Mayor Pete's idea about what, you know, what the future of the party should be. Well, I have a policy, you know, like then I can go to Bernie Sanders or Mm -hmm. if I don't agree with Bernie Sanders, I can go somewhere else. Right. Like, do you see what I mean? Like there isn't that one locked in community within the Democratic Party. So maybe the reason why you don't see this as much with Democrats is there's like the Democratic Party has sort of always been a a large tent. Right. And and there's more freedom in there to sort of find yourself. Whereas these days, I, I don't know, like what sort of freedom there is for dissent or to find yourself within the Republican Party. Like, does does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I I still think that there's, um, I that makes sense, but I still don't think that if you're going to, um, further, uh, I guess compartmentalize, you know the. Take, so take the broad, the broad identity of being a Democrat, and you compartmentalize it into the narrower fields of, um, say, a a Bernie Sanders populist Democrat or a Biden moderate centrist Democrat. I still don't see how. I don't think that. Um, they are going to have the same type of reaction to this. At, well, actually, I guess it, you know, it almost maybe is, is the same type of reaction. It just goes in, in the um, opposite way. Uh, because I don't, I don't see them as being converted or persuaded sure. by and, and, the trial. And, and, and I guess that's maybe, that's maybe my ultimate point. I don't think anyone is coming out of that. Um, I don't think anyone is taking away from the uh, impeachment acquittal something that they didn't already believe. No one is having their mind changed by that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And 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 I guess like I didn't, I I, I didn't want to imply that necessarily that like that this was going to change people's minds. But I think where it can go is it can intensify the feelings that people already have and that um and that the reason why people might necessarily react the way that they do isn't because they have some sort of uh you know like i think the classic sort of critique of these i shouldn't say classic but like the critique of republicans right is like this is just like their naked self-interest being played out here right, right? that like they're working for these wealthy lobbyists and you know, they can get their tax cuts. So whatever. Uh, Sure. Like that's one type of person. 
right? But that sort of implies some sort of like transaction. So, so Joe Biden or a centrist can say, okay, well, you know, I just have to find what this person really wants. And once I figure that out, I can convert them to my side. Uh, and then, I mean, I just thought of like the Dark Knight and the Joker, like then there's some men who want to watch the world burn, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's there's some people out there. And again, like I guess we're trying to like talk about a spectrum, like there's some people that like have internalized this, right? Or like they can't go against it because or I mean, you know, they always could, but like they won't go against it because of their background or things like that. And so like, I guess where I'm going with the Trump impeachment is this notion that like, um, that maybe we should think more of inst like, instead of just thinking, Oh, like everyone knows he's guilty because, you know, clearly we can all believe in facts and, right. you know, all these sorts of things. So clearly like we agree on that. Like there, there seems to be that sort of a, a consensus out there that like, we all agree that he's guilty but it's just some of us for our own, you know, naked self-interest choose to act differently. I guess what I'm saying is we should not underestimate, especially going into an election, that there is a group of people out there that instead of when when confronted with that information are not going to be like, oh, yeah, um, I know that he's, you know, really guilty, mm -hmm. but I just I just love owning the libs. So, you know, middle fingers right. up at you. Right. But instead, no, I think that's 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 fair. And I think that kind of gets to um, one of the broader themes that we've had on this show is kind of that, you know, post-truth society. You know, everyone has their own version of the truth and the facts and so you can't rely on uh well everyone really knows that this was the truth and it's just up to them whether or not they um act on it yeah and and i mean we've talked about the hyper normal the hyper normalization theory you know we've talked about um like Vladislav Surkov and that mm -hmm. sort of like psychological warfare, or like what's going on with Facebook and like troll factories. And we've talked a lot about how one reaction to that could be like, well, nothing's really true. I can't figure out what's true. So I'll just turn off. Right. Right. Like, I'll, I'll just adopt this sense of like almost like a weaponized sense of cynicism to survive. That's one approach. Mm -hmm. And I guess like where where I wanted to, to take this podcast and what I hope, you know, comes out of this is like there's another, which is if all the people around me are believing this stuff and, you know, they're acting a certain way and I've always been a part of this group or like maybe I believe in a part of this group, right? Like this goes to precisely to that whole argument that like Christians have, have made of like, oh, well, you know. God has worked miracles through sinners before, right? Like, right. that's sort of what we're getting at, which is instead of being like, well, maybe I need to rethink what people are telling me, <laughs> right? Or like, maybe I need to take a deeper look into the Bible, or maybe I need to find a new, you know, a new congregation or whatever. Instead, you, you adapt. Right. And, and, and some of that, uh, is a deeply personal thing and plays out on a deeply personal level. So, 
you know, when, like, you know, what's, what's the lesson out of all of this? Like, I don't really know. You know, I mean, I guess one lesson is, you know, 1984 isn't the end all, you know, of, of how a dystopian society works. Like, it's actually much more sinister than that, right? Like, the state, uh, with enough effort and with enough rhetoric, can get into your innermost self. Um, you know, it only needs that little bit of a window. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the other part of it is, and the, I mean, the, the other part of it is perhaps like, as we move forward in, you know, in, in American politics, right? Like as there is an effort to build a new consensus, right? Like, you know, I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier today and I was thinking like, you know, really like, I think you're going to see an alignment, a realignment in American politics when one of the two parties implodes. Uh, and, and honestly, it's point, it could be either one of them. I, I don't really know. Um, but the question after that is, okay, well, what's the new consensus going to be? How are we going to form this? Well, clearly, you no, know, we need, we can just forget about, you know, we can just sort of have this convenient amnesia about Trumpism and about, you know, the era of fake news and all that stuff. Like, you know, because people never really believe that. Right. Like that. They, they, that was just their own self-interest. Mm -hmm. So if we can just realign their self-interest to what we want. Uh, then then we can build a new consensus. What I'm saying is be careful about that. Yeah, because. No, I agree. I mean, like it, it's it seems like because it would be... this this notion of like a public self and a private self and like an innermost self, sometimes the three are the same thing. Right. Or like sometimes the line between them is extremely blurred. And I think going forward, like, you know, especially Democrats in the middle need to be thinking like, you know, is what I've been told is all of this, you know, is this belief that I've heard that, oh, like, you know, everyone deep down is really reasonable. If we can just find that middle ground, everything will be OK. Is that the way forward? And I don't know necessarily if it is, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, not that we need to like, you know, adopt a totalitarian society, and, like reprogram <laughs> these people. I, like, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not implying that, but my, I guess. You're not my for, not for re-education camps? No, I don't want, no, I don't <laughs> want to go there. Um, no, not at all. But like, I guess what my point is, is that we need to re that like i guess especially now where so much of our politics is personal mm -hmm. right like where being a republican means very specific things and not being a republican means very specific things and being a democrat means very specific things and not being a democrat means very specific things what we need to do then i think is think about somehow decoupling um, or working on uh, creating a new foundation of politics where it is not so wrapped up in everything, right? And in building better communities that are more, I, I mean, not necessarily tolerant, right? But like, I mean, for I guess for like a lack of a better word, like just expose people to different sorts of ideas, mm -hmm. right? Um, because I do think, 
I do think so much of the problem, and, and again, like, I don't have a good answer to this, and I'm not trying to come up with a, an answer, but, like, I mean, if you look at how the maps have broken down, right, and, like, I was reading something, uh, I think it was, like, actually in the Wall Street Journal, right, where, like, the the economic, cultural, all these sort of divides between Democrat House districts and Republican ones, like, it's stark, I mean, mm-hmm. it really, really is. And to think that – and I guess this cuts both ways, right? To think that a Republican is going to be able to go into some deep blue district and you know, convince them of something um, that goes against their entire community of beliefs. And again, like not saying those beliefs are necessarily wrong, right? But I guess like that's what we're working at. And maybe that's where I, I, where I think some sort of a solution is, is that – and and this also might be why I think Bernie Sanders has a better chance than a lot of people that I talk to. Right. And, and and that's that like politics isn't okay, this is where I'm this is where I'm going with this, right? Like politics isn't necessarily like always something transactional. It's not always something where like, you know, hey, like I'm voting for Bernie because I can get all my loans forgiven or you know, like I just love his crazy white hair and how he's like the crazy <laughs> uncle that no one wants to talk to at Thanksgiving, but he doesn't give a shit and he just rambles on anyway, right? Like it's not just that, mm-hmm. or like it's not, you know, it's not actually it's the latter part of it, right? It's not necessarily the policies, right? Like so maybe this is where I'm getting, I'm coming to my criticism of someone like Elizabeth Warren, right? Who I do think is very smart, who I do think has a lot of amazing policy ideas. Um, but like politics is deeply personal. I guess that's where I'm, where like maybe we can take this and you have to win people over on that sort of a level, right? Like, because there isn't, there isn't the sort of, I just don't think not, not everyone is the, oh yeah, like, let me sit down with my Excel program and calculate how much I'm going to save on my taxes and, you know, let me read all of these white papers and come to a, a decision. Like, no, right. like it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Right. Like there's something deeply profound about all of this. There is, and, there's an emotional component. It's not just pure, yeah, there, there's, um, there's an emotional component and, and it, and it cuts both ways. And I guess mm-hmm. something else, and I guess another reason why I think Bernie might have a better sort of shot and and to be fair like he's also sort of proposing the transactional class oriented type of you know type of program right and and he i think he i think he thinks that that's how he can win people win people over and and i don't know if i don't know if that's necessarily true like i don't know well, how much i mean it's i think there is something to it because um you look at how well he's received when he goes on fox news and how well his uh, his policy platforms are are received. Uh, I mean, do you, you look at him on so, on Rogan. Um, do you think it's Do you think it's his ideas or the or the conviction that he seemingly has? Because I, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I think I, it's I think it's both. I mean, they they like, go I mean, hand I think in hand. That he is he unabashedly believes in what he's talking about, and sure, like you can say that's naive. You know, you could say that that's not really going to work out for him when he gets into the White House. But I mean, at least on like a personal level, uh, I think that's I think that's profound. And, and I think that uh, his opponents 
you know, underestimate him. Well, right, because uh, you saw the entire the entire Democratic field, like maybe with the exception of Klobuchar, uh, were basically adopting his 2016 platform, and none of them have had the staying power that he has. Yeah, and um, and and I think like you know, I'm not a sociologist, and I haven't studied like his followers, right? But I mean, I, I would imagine that you know. I don't know how he's done it, but like somehow he's created like some sort of a sense of community, which I also think like sort of insulates him from a lot of the problems that that candidates that are just trying to do the transactional, you know, electability thing might have. Right. right? Um, and so well, I think I it's a pretty I think it's a pretty simple formula of you speak to people's material needs and speak to the material conditions and you're going to attract a broad a broad swath of support and a very diverse uh, coalition of support because uh, these are things that affect everybody right now and, yeah. and now I don't think anyone would deny that that certain material issues affect uh, other groups more than others but um the fact is that it doesn't matter who you are. You got to worry about about your health care. Um, yeah, they can still be devastated by student debt, and like these are almost universal problems. And I think that is why, um, you know, I think that is why you see the coalition be so broad, um, but you know, kind of to our earlier point about like that you have to have uh, in order for that, I guess, identity to uh, need to be, you know, when that identity is challenged, um, how, how much you, you know, double down or what your reaction to that challenging is. Um, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's, it's harder to do because, there you know what is what is the identity of a of a Sanders supporter right? like well, you, you I mean, can't that, really define it that's know, a good question i know and... like, i know they like to paint it as you know the bernie bro but that's that's just not true yeah the numbers don't really bear no, that no, out they... well i mean I, I i think like on some level and i was just and i was thinking about this like you know, maybe why it works so well for him, right? And and again, like, I know that, you know, misogyny is a, is a factor in this, right? Like, cause, because Warren has adopted a lot of this, of similar policies, and, and I've heard a lot of, you know, discussion about how, well, I mean, this this all came out when, you know, she said that Bernie told her, like, you know, that a woman couldn't win, and there and there was all of that. And, and I don't necessarily want to get into that, Um but what I what I guess where I where I want to go with this is there is what I think Bernie offers in a way that other people don't is he does offer this sort of sense of community that we've talked about. And he his campaign, I think, also offers you a way of like to get back to like the idea of personal transformation. And, you know, like he talks about a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he offers some like a very similar path, right? That like, you know, you, I mean, I guess like with the Bernie rally, like you don't feel like you have to actually like, cause I know he talks about class so much, 
right? Right. You don't actually have to be working class, I think, to fit into his movement. I mean, I, I guess to sort of like, you know, wrap all this up, because, I mean, we are at sort of an interesting time with with the Democratic Party and with the way things are going. And, you know, I, I guess like in part of what I'm saying is like we, you know, in terms of wrapping this up, like some of where I'm going with this is like, A, you know, we need to be, we, we should not underestimate the power of the rhetoric of Trump's acquittal and all of his other rhetoric and the mm -hmm. impact that it can have among certain individuals. That's, that's you know, a... you know what I'm, you know, like as we're as we're talking about this, and I know we're trying to get this wrapped up because we got to make no, dinner. Okay. Um, but you know where I do think uh, you would see that kind of effect start to seep in and kind of the, cause it to make people question themselves is possibly in in turnout when it comes oh. when it comes time to actually cast the ballot. Um, if you're someone that you're die like you believe to your core that he's guilty and he did these wrong things and he should be removed from office um and you see this acquittal and you kind of see the futility of it all maybe you just maybe you just give up and you just stay home i mean yeah that that could be part that of I, that could be part of it but I mean, I, I think though that uh, I, I think also though, like we shouldn't, we should be careful in. I mean, I, I don't think anyone really believed that. Like, I, well, okay, like I, I, one thing the Democrats I think are going to try to do is to be like, oh, this was a cover up, this was a sham, right? You know, some of these senators need to be voted out. You know, Trump shouldn't be president. Blah 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 blah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, like, don't underestimate the power that that acquittal and all the rhetoric can have in a certain element of society in, in some way, like even solidifying his support even more. Right. Um, I think that's, I think that's one thing that we want to take from this. I think sort of the other lesson, uh, you know, if there is a, if there is a lesson, it's that people aren't always necessarily like two faced, right? Like, uh, having their inner self that believes something entirely different than what they're outwardly expressing, you know, or there's there's that or there's the cynic where it's like, you know, oh, like I'm a Republican just because I love low taxes. And so I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do to keep Trump in office so I can get my low taxes. You know, be careful of that, of believing that in that sort of dichotomy and that if you can just find a policy alignment between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party that you're going to win some of these people over. Uh, that's that's lesson two. And I guess or lesson B or two, whatever we're on, uh, then lesson three or C for you more alphabetically inclined is, I guess, like, don't underestimate um, don't est don't underestimate Bernie Sanders, uh, because I think that um, he understands more than like his centrist opponents do uh, the power of of getting people to align so much of their self identity and their own their own aspirations for themselves uh, with a political movement. I, I mm -hmm. like don't underestimate that. I guess that's the third thing. Yeah. So and uh, in terms of in terms of next week, 
Uh, I'm not <laughs> quite sure yet, or next episode, I should say, because we're not always getting these out every week. Most of that's my fault. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the next episode, I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly where I want to go. Um, I, I do think that one thing that might be worth talking about is uh, we haven't talked about Ukraine and Zelensky in a little while. Uh, his popularity has actually taken quite a precipitous dip. Uh, in mm -hmm. some places, he's under 50 percent, or some polls I've seen is under 50 percent. Uh, he is proposing a, ra a rather dramatic land reform uh, program in Ukraine, mm -hmm. like for freeing, like for freeing more agricultural land for purchase, um, and you know that that could mean a lot of things, right? It could mean additional investment, uh, like foreign investment in Ukrainian agriculture. Um, you know, it could also mean what his opponents say, which is that, you know, smallholders and, you know, Ukrainian farmers are going to be bought out of their own land by foreign corporations. Uh, so I think that actually might be a good thing to talk about. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the um, I've already made the executive decision. We're going to talk about the importance <laughs> of agriculture to Ukrainian history, um, how, you know, why it came to be known as the breadbasket of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, you know what the prospects are for agricultural reform, and and you know why that you know why that matters so much to that country. So yeah, I think that's I think that's what we'll talk about next time. All right, thanks for listening, folks, and we will see you uh, next week or next episode. Okay, we'll see you then. Ушел, ушел, ла-ла-ла-ла